we are piloting these customizable literary adventures, which are going to be these immersive sensory experiences where students will walk into a school space and they will immediately be greeted with shelves and tables just brimming with brand new books. And they'll also be able to see an author and an illustrator that looks like them that ultimately takes them on this shopping excursion. And so they'll be able to self-select books that go into their own home library. And then afterwards, students will actually participate in a reflective activity that's led by the author and illustrator. I believe that love is all around us. Love is everything and everywhere. I am love. You are love. We are all love. In our divinity, in our soul, in the truest and simplest form of our being, we are pure, unconditional love. Love is the answer to everything. Every week in this podcast, we're talking to incredible and beautiful people who will be sharing their insights and perspectives to help you find more peace, to help you come from a place of love more often, to help encourage you to be kinder to yourself and others, to help you create more happiness in your life, to help you feel more oneness with others, and to help you connect to your higher self. My name is Justin Court. Together, we will help shift the collective consciousness of the planet to be more loving, kind, peaceful, happy, empathetic, understanding, and accepting. This can only be achieved together. It starts with each and every one of us. We are one, and it's time we start acting that way. I am so, so grateful that you're here. I love you, I support you, and I'm here for you. Let's together create more love in this world. Let's do this. Rina Madani is the co-founder of Start Lighthouse, a nonprofit organization based in the Bronx that addresses childhood literacy through an intergenerational approach. They believe that literacy and destiny should not be defined by race or a zip code. They provide new books, literary toolkits, and interactive experiences where young students get to meet the authors and illustrators of the books they're reading. So cool. During the episode, we also discuss how they center social justice within their curriculum, the support she receives from her family, especially her brother, and her gratitude practice, and why she started it. Well, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. <laughs> oh, of course. I'm so excited to chat with you. Um, Rena Madani, she is the executive director and co-founder of Start Lighthouse, which is a nonprofit uh, in the Bronx. So just even first off, where did the name Start Lighthouse come from? Uh, that's a great question. That is something that we commonly get. And for us, we really view ourselves as just a beacon of hope for the community and that we as a lighthouse are igniting that love and excitement for literacy. Amazing. A beacon of hope. That was so cool. I, cause as soon as I read that, I'm like, what does that mean? And that was the best, 
response. Oh, wow. A beacon of light and love for the community. Incredible. And um, if you can just tell people, just give people an understanding of what Start Lighthouse is and, and just the purpose of it. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, Start Lighthouse was floating around in my head for the past three years, and it was really born out of the respective experiences that I had as a classroom teacher in the community. And the pandemic is what propelled us forward. So I just remember last March when schools were closing, libraries were closing, I was having conversations with a lot of my former students and their families, and they were asking me for additional resources, programming, anything that could support their children at home. And that's what led me to say, okay, this is our time. The community needs us. We need to show up for them. And Start Lighthouse was born. I mean, our mission is really to address childhood illiteracy through um, an intergenerational approach. So we not only believe in empowering students, but also their families. And when we started, we had such a modest goal. All we wanted to do was just collect 500 brand new multicultural books for our students so that they had something that they could go back to and that we could help build out their own home libraries. And then from there, it was just everything kept going forward. And I mean, now we're just a full-blown organization and it's really exceeded my wildest dreams and expectations. And I've just been pleasantly surprised through this journey. Um, and that's not to say that I haven't had bad days. There's been a lot of bad days and days where I've second-guessed myself, of course, but I think it's just these little interactions that I have with the students that we're serving or with the families that I like, um, connect with, and that's what really keeps me going. Yes, and the bad days aren't so bad when you're fulfilling and living your passion. Yeah, I right? mean, and I felt like this was something that I've been waiting for my entire life, like my entire 20s, this is what I was looking for. And I loved being a classroom teacher, but I always felt like my scope was so limiting, especially when you think about the bureaucracy of our system and just dealing with administration too. There's just not much that you can do. And I was never ever empowered as a leader. And this is the first time where I'm the one in charge and I'm creating space for people that do look like me. And I think that's the most beautiful thing of the work that I'm doing right now. Incredible. Good for you. And I'm excited that we even get to have this conversation. Um, we were introduced uh, through a mutual friend, mm -hmm. uh, Alex Bushman, uh, who is the co-founder of We Gave What?, she was also a guest on the podcast. Uh, she's in episode 45, if anybody wants to go check that out. And I just, I love meeting people and having conversations with people who are living their passion and doing what they love because it's so inspiring. And I think it just really shows people out there who maybe aren't doing that, that this is just so possible and that they're able to do it too, right? Yeah. I feel like when we can see somebody else doing it and just show that that possibility exists, it's like, cool, right? This is something I can also achieve uh, and follow through on. Yeah. So I appreciate you doing that and being an inspiration oh, for well, other people. Thank you. I mean, I would say that 
um, pursuing this career path by no means is conventional. I mean, especially mm. given the culture that I've grown up in, I have very traditional South Asian parents. So for them, they have a specific trajectory in mind, whether that was to be a doctor or to be a lawyer. And I didn't fit either of those paths. Um, but for me, they've come around because they've seen just how excited and passionate I am. And it's been a journey of me like convincing them. But at one point it was like less me telling them and just me showing them. And that's mm. where they've seen, they've seen the growth. They've seen the evolution of just who I've become as a person where before I was leading Star Lighthouse, they always thought, I was a little more passive and this is the first time where I'm like, okay, what is the worst possible thing that someone's going to say to me? They're going to say no. Okay. That's fine. Then I'll like find someone that will say yes. And maybe that requires me talking to another 50 people, but I'll find the people that believe in me and that support the organization and can see the vision that I do. Um, but yeah, it's definitely taken some time <laughs> to get my parents to come around on that end. Well, honestly, good for you too, for choosing this path when it wasn't the easiest one for you mm -hmm. to choose, right? Because a lot of times, you know, what our parents think about us or maybe the route that they want us to go can kind of weigh on us, right? And we don't want to disappoint them. They've done so much for us. They literally gave us life. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Right? And it's like something that for me, um, being like the daughter of two immigrants, it's just, it weighs on me so deeply because I know all the sacrifices that they've had to make mm. to give me the life that I have today. And well, that's something that I always struggle with too. Yeah. Well, I'm sure, you know, in leading them along and having them accept this more and more, I'm sure it's helpful that you're doing something good in the world. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's like one of my favorite things too, when people follow their passion and that passion is also aligned with helping and serving and, and creating more positivity in the world. Mm -hmm. It's like, that is just to me, it's like you're, you're connecting, I feel like to your soul and to your purpose. And when we can identify that, connect with it, and then live through it, manifest it into physical form and bring it into this world. Uh, it's just, uh, you know. I love that. I'm all about manifestation, by the way. I love putting things out to the universe, to whoever is listening. Amazing. Do you have any uh, sort of a manifestation practice or is it something that you just visualize a lot? For me, it's all about visualization. And that's how I was even as a learner. Um, things mm. didn't necessarily come easily to me, but it always was that extra like level of work. Um, but for me, I also have a gratitude journal. So I do like to practice gratitude. And for me, even if I've had a really long day, I like to sit down and just think about, okay, what were the few good things about today? What is it a conversation that I had with my mom or me going out to dinner with my roommate or to someone that I sent a cold email to and they agreed to take a call with me and allow me to talk about Starlight House for 30 minutes, right? Um, yeah. It's just finding those little pockets of happiness even. And that's what keeps me uh, grounded. Amazing. Rena, we're, we just became best friends because- <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> and it's like that scene in that movie where it's like, they just like stare at each other. It's like, wait, did we just become best friends? <laughs> 
Seriously, because having a gratitude journal. So can I just ask too, with your gratitude journal, do you journal in the morning, during the day, at night, whenever, always? I think always. For me, I yeah. love writing things down in real time. So I always love carrying a journal because you never know when that moment is yes. going to hit you or that level of like inspiration that comes along. Um, and I think that's always important to be able to document it. And I love going yes. through all my journals just to see that evolution too. So cool, right? You can, yes, you can look back yeah. on the things that you were grateful for. Mm -hmm. Cool. Because so I have a, and everyone who's listening uh, knows this, but I have a gratitude practice as well. Oh. Um, I'm just such a massive fan of gratitude because yeah. it can change your life mm -hmm. so drastically. And um, on Spread Love Movement on the page, I did uh, 365 days of gratitude, uh, where in a story post every day, I posted one thing I was grateful for, uh, for a year. And then even before that, so I'll just share my gratitude practice with you really quickly. Um, I have this gratitude bracelet mm -hmm. and the main purpose of it, so it's the chakras, which I just feel aligned and love. Uh, but the purpose of this bracelet is simply to remind me to stop and think about what I'm grateful for. So like in the morning when I get up and I put it on, that's its purpose. So I stop and I think about what I'm grateful for. And I don't just like think about it quickly. It's like I feel the gratitude again for those moments. Mm -hmm. And it's like, whatever it was, I like, I put myself back there and I just give myself the time and the space to truly feel, 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 uh, the gratitude. And then, um, also when I meditate, I, I, I always think about what I'm grateful for as well. Uh, and then at night or before I go to sleep and I take this off again, it just simply reminds me, uh, to stop again and just think about what I'm grateful for, whether it's stuff for that day, uh, whether it's just life in general, um, and whenever I hear someone else has a gratitude practice or a journal, it just really gets me excited because I felt um, really truly how powerful it can be because you literally shift yourself into a reality mm -hmm. where more gratitude is just coming to you and you're seeing gratitude where you didn't see it before. And when we can have any situation and there could be suffering, there could be pain, there could be difficult times, but also when you're able to pull some gratitude from that. Yeah. It just changes your entire life. Yeah, it really does. And this is a practice for me that hasn't been part of my life like entirely, but it was something that I actually started three years ago when my grandma passed away and I was mm. really struggling with my grief and I needed to find a way to really cope with that. Wow. Well, I'm sorry about your grandmother. Yeah. Um, and I'm grateful for you though, that out of that experience, mm -hmm. look at this beautiful practice that it gave you. Yeah. And that's something that I've been consistently doing ever since. So in a way it almost makes me feel like I'm connected to her in some capacity by doing that. Um, because that's uh, also just how she embraced her life. Like despite all the hardships that she went through, like she ultimately paved the way for many generations to come to have this life, um, mm. in the States. So I think it's just really remarkable the legacy that she left behind. And because of that, that's really what got me started and invested in this practice. So incredible. Wow. It's just wild how some of our, you know, really lowest, darkest, most difficult times is where some of the most incredible things uh, can come from. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Especially like a practice like that yeah. that you've been consistent with for years. You know, and then even going back and 
with difficult times with COVID. So, right, we always want to look at the positive in, in every situation. And COVID has been difficult, it's of been, course. Yeah, it's been a really hard year. Right. And uh, also just some really brilliant things have come from COVID as well. It's like I've had some great experiences that wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for COVID. Mm-hmm. I've also had some really, really, really difficult ones yeah. uh, that wouldn't have happened without it either. So um, I just want to pull it back to how you said that this all kind of started with COVID, right? That was like one of the the main reasons why, because, you know, the kids and the parents, whatever, reaching out, looking for different ways that they could just learn. And so it's just... I always just, I always want to point it out when there is something great and good that can come from something like COVID. You know what I mean? Because there has been, right, there's been so much heartache and so much tough times, but it's really important to also put our focus on the good uh, that's come from it as well. Yeah. I mean, for me, this was my saving grace, especially during that period of time. And I was just more concerned about everyone else than I was with myself because I thought, you know, I'm okay. I'm with my family right now, but there are so many other people that do need my help and my support and I need to Mm. be able to show up for them. And I remember this conversation that I had with a principal, um, at school in the Bronx. And she mentioned to me how she was literally going back into the school and just emptying out classrooms, pulling together resources, for her students because more than half of them live in temporary housing or shelters. So remote learning was not accessible to them. And many of them still hadn't received their tech devices from the DOE. And I just kept thinking, okay, well, I wanna be able to support you in any way that I can. And when I told her about Starlight House and what we ultimately wanna do for her students and her community, she was just, blown away by that. And it all started with just sending a cold email. I was just trying to find a school that we could work with. And I knew that schools were closed. So there had to be another way for us to be able to access the student community, especially those that really did need our help the most. And I saw that the school was operating as a meal distribution site. So students and families were going there daily to get hot meals. And then that's where we came in and we had created these customized literacy toolkits where students were receiving brand new multicultural books. We had created these bilingual comprehension guides based on students' language and learning needs and then activities that they could do that correlated with the books that we included. Great. I love how you did that. You, 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 you saw, so there was an issue, there was a problem, mm-hmm. right? And then there was a resource yeah. for food. And then I just let you just, you know, you saw that and then you just paired up with them because you knew people would be there. And what a brilliant way just to get the organization started. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a lot of it yeah. started with us just being on the ground, right? We were doing community pop-up events and then it just transformed into so much more where now we have our own racial justice literacy program. And that was something that we started immediately after the murder of George Floyd. And we wanted to be able to cultivate a safe learning space for our students to have conversations around identity, racism, social justice in a developmentally appropriate way. And as classroom teachers, we knew that this is not included in the curriculum. A lot of the Mm -hmm. curriculum is just 
presented through the colonizers um, perspective. And so it's very whitewashed in nature. And a lot of it, it's about kind of countering that. And for us, we weren't ever empowered to do that when we were classroom teachers. Now, with our own organization, we were able to create this program. And it's been, it's been remarkable to see how students as young as five are having conversations about the color of their skin and what it means to treat people fairly or really reflecting on what does Black Lives Matter mean to them and why is it important for them to stand up and speak out against injustice. Mm -hmm. Are you just helping these children, like you said, see everyone is equal, everyone is the same? There's no, there should be no hierarchy. There's no one who's better than another person, especially based on the color of your skin. Yeah. And I think it's um, for them to know that they matter, their voice, yes. their history, their perspective, it all matters. And this is the yes. beauty of creating a curriculum and a program like this. Right. Just because of the history that we were taught doesn't really mean it was the exact history at all. Like you said, it was told by specific people who were in power at that time. Um, so I think that's really, that is so, so important, especially to open up a child's mind um, and speak more truth mm -hmm. to them and to really allow them to know what happened. Absolutely. And Rena, how, I know you said this was, you know, this idea was kind of churning in your head for a couple of years. How did you start to feel inspired? Like, where did this, even like the seed of this idea come from? I mean, I think for me, it really started with my first year teaching. So I was teaching 10th grade English at a public high school in the South mm. Bronx. And I was in my early 20s. So it was a very interesting experience to say the least. I was coming in with zero years of teaching experience prior to that. And something that I immediately noticed that I'm teaching 10th grade, but then I still have students that are reading at a fourth and fifth grade reading level. And I'm trying to understand why do these discrepancies exist? I mean, I know our education system is truly broken, but how are these students just pushed along without getting access to their services and the support that they needed in order to truly be successful and at the same time was facing so much pressure from administration to make sure that they were ready to pass the regents exam which allows them to ultimately graduate from high school and so i started to learn more about early literacy intervention how early does it start to help students become proficient readers and ultimately, when I did transition into teaching elementary education, I still noticed that this problem itself, which is pervasive across all grade levels, and that's when I realized that the biggest barrier to literacy was access to books. Students simply did not have books at home to read. And even in a community like the Bronx, the bookstore that we did have, it, well, it closed down. And then there was another bookstore that opened up but I know that my students and their families were simply not going to that bookstore because if it was a matter of like paying their rent or buying a book, they're going to put that money towards rent or getting a meal on the table. And that for many families, books were really a luxury item. And we were, you know, penalizing students for not enjoying reading or for not being engaged, but we weren't addressing the root cause of this problem. And that was access. And so 
that's what was really like turning in my head all along. But then when COVID hit, I just simply thought, well, wait, pause. How are they getting any books now? Schools are closed, libraries are closed, and they were probably sent home with three books in their book baggie. And a lot of them don't have tech devices. So what's happening during this period of time? And that's when we started. Well, good for you. Just like really understanding and identifying a massive problem mm -hmm. and then <laughs> doing something about it, you know, putting yourself into action uh, and just creating the necessary change. Mm -hmm. um, that was just so needed. And, you know, it's something I don't think about very often that of like, of course, if you're, you know, a parent and um, you're low income and you're struggling, like a book is a luxury and it's not something you're going to, you know, go get when the money that you do have is needed for, like you mentioned, rent or food or like the necessities for survival. So it's like, right, literacy and, and reading just kind of gets pushed to the side. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's what I noticed was taking place. And I just think about it even in the context of just my niece, who's three years old, but she's in a very privileged situation. So even during the pandemic, when there were books that she wanted to read, we were able to just immediately order them off of Amazon and they arrived to her doorstep the next day. And she had like a brand new book that she was able to add to her own home library. And mm -hmm. I know that like a lot of people don't have that luxury. And so mm -hmm. even for us as an organization, one of our uncompromising points is that the books that we will provide to our students are going to be brand new books, books that truly belong to them and that can foster that sense of ownership because there's nothing that can compare to that experience of like opening up a brand new book, flipping through the pages, even if there's a scent to a brand new book and we wanted to be able to have allow them to have that experience so for me if that means that i ultimately distribute less books then that's okay because for me it's all about quality versus quantity and it's about important it's about sending them an important message too yeah and honestly just what a beautiful perspective you have and like one hand to be balanced in one hand, to be, you know, grateful that your niece is able to, you know, have the luxury of being able to order a book and have it appear the next day. Uh, and then again, also balancing that with understanding that privilege and doing something about it for people who don't have that as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's really, and I feel yeah, like something is, like privilege is something that we often like talk about, but then it just stops at that conversation where we acknowledge, oh yeah, we have privilege or we have different types of privilege, but then the lack of action is what keeps us where we are as a society. Exactly. Because they, they go together. <laughs> if there's privilege, that means there's also underprivileged. So it's like, yeah. we shouldn't just be like, yeah, I'm privileged and focus on that because on the, on the opposite side, on the other hand, there's people who are suffering who do need um, and I just, again, it's just the fact that you are helping um, and making that effort. It's just like people like you, we need more people like you uh, <laughs> literally in the world because these are massive shifts and changes that yeah. you are able to I mean, create. All of this is like deeply systemic, right? So it's, yeah. when we think about education, it's also correlated with housing, right? And healthcare and 
these were all problems that really were magnified, especially during the pandemic. Yeah. And if we think about essential workers and who were who are the people that were actually on the front lines, it was individuals that do live in a community like the Bronx that were still showing up for work each day and putting their lives at risk. Yeah. Wow. And Rena, if you can just talk more about just like the structure of the organization and what exactly you're doing uh, with the students and the kids that you are helping out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as I mentioned, we started out doing these community pop-up events where we were distributing these customized literacy toolkits. And now we're actually pivoting away from those because all our students are fully back in person. And so we know that there's a lot of work that needs to be done within the school building itself. And so we are piloting these customizable literary adventures, which are going to be these immersive sensory experiences where students will walk into a school space and they will immediately be greeted with shelves and tables just brimming with brand new books. And they'll also be able to see an author and an illustrator that looks like them that ultimately takes them on this shopping excursion. And so they'll be able to self-select books that go into their own home library. And then afterwards, students will actually participate in a reflective activity that's led by the author and illustrator on site so that they'll be getting real-time feedback around their writing, their artwork. And then it's really also about that exposure to just a world of possibilities beyond what they've seen in the Bronx, beyond what they've been told in the classroom, by their family, and for them just to have, to have that light bulb moment, right? Whether it's a student that's so excited to like actually jump in and start reading immediately, a student that becomes a lifelong reader or learner, or someone that sees an illustrator and says, wow, like I could become a professional artist. That is a job that I could take. Um, so that is going to be um, the pivot that we're taking as an organization. And we're actually launching our first literary adventure next Thursday, which is going to be super exciting. Um, so we have that as one element. And then the other is our racial justice literacy program, which is now going to be led by the teachers at the various schools that we work with. And that's essentially going to be integrated into the existing social studies curriculum. So we'll be able to really provide that multifaceted perspective towards history like we discussed. And then we also host community workshops. And so that's where that intergenerational piece really comes in because these workshops are geared towards family members and caregivers. So it can range from how do you support your child's literacy development at home to also workshops that fit their literacy needs. So whether that pertains to financial literacy, health literacy, political advocacy, we're constantly in communication with them so that we can design programming that's really catered to what they need in the moment. Well, the interactive workshop sounds so fun. <laughs> wow. And honestly, the fact of like representation and you're showing them, right, someone who looks like them. Yeah. And I think it's so, so important. And I think for me, it's all about 
just being that person that I needed when I was younger. And when I was growing up, I lived in a predominantly white community. So I didn't really see people that did look like me. And for me, when I was growing up, it was all about that Eurocentric notion of beauty, right? Where it was like blonde hair and blue eyes. So for me, I felt like an outlier because I didn't fit either of those standards. And I also, growing up, didn't have access to books where I saw strong South Asian female protagonists. And so for like the first 17 years of my life, I was not proud to be who I am. I was not proud to be Indian because that was something I was struggling with. And so it was when I was 17, I moved to New York. And that's when I realized that, wow, there are people that really do embrace where they came from, where their family came from, who they are as people. And why was I hiding from that for so, so long? Wow, that's such an interesting perspective to have because Rina, you are so beautiful on the inside and out. Oh. And for, of course, and for 17 years of your life, yeah. for you to doubt yourself and feel like you don't fit in, like that is just such an issue in the world because it could be so detrimental to us. And I'm just such an advocate of self-love and self-acceptance and it like breaks my heart, honestly, to, to hear that. And truthfully, thank you for this perspective mm-hmm. because I am white. So that wasn't something that I really ever dealt with when I was younger or in life at all. And like, I need to be more aware of situations like this. You know, I need to feel more compassion and empathy and like your example, thank you again. It helps me understand that perspective more. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this was something that I I would have never like openly shared that I think for me ever since Star Lighthouse began, I felt like I really found a part of myself and I found my voice too, where it felt bold, right? And ready to speak out again mm-hmm. any microaggression that I've experienced in my life and just to be able to be open because there may be someone else out there that may be experiencing this and I want to be able to be that person that they could ultimately turn to and say wow that's something that I've been going through as well mm-hmm. and then again that's such such beauty and living your passion mm-hmm. Because now look what that's done for you in terms of confidence and giving you a voice. And like, I just, I I found myself and I don't think I was as confident as I am today. And I think it's also just now I have this self-assurance that I'm not as concerned about what other people are doing or what my friends are working on or what they're doing or why someone hasn't, you know, reached out to me or messaged me. It's more about me living my purpose. And I'm so sometimes self-consumed with just everything that's going on in my life and my work that I'm not really thinking about what are other people thinking about me. And if you put yourself in a situation where you do, you feel confident in yourself, you feel aligned Mm -hmm. with who you truly are. Again, you're living your purpose. You know that you're doing good. You're making a difference. When you can be in that sort of a space, it literally doesn't matter what anyone else thinks about you. Yeah. And that's like the most liberating thing of it all. Mm-hmm. Right. Because you know, like you can feel the connection to your soul. Mm-hmm. And really it's bringing this up right now. It's like, it is so true when we can be in that space. 
it just the outside environment. It just it literally doesn't matter. Yeah, because for me, it's just about like the students and the families that I'm serving, yep. and how can I right. can I, how can I be better for them? How can I make our programming better for them? Yes, like we're not you're not putting your self worth on someone else's opinion of you. Mm-hmm. Because you know what you're doing is helping and all you care about are the people that you're helping. Yeah. But I felt like in my early 20s, I did a lot of that, right? Yeah, me too. But I think that's also part of part of the journey, right? It's part of our, it's part of the plot in terms of just mm-hmm. that character development. I wouldn't trade anything that happened in the past um, because I think it was all meant to happen in some capacity and to bring me where I am today. Exactly. It's all just a part of the journey that we're all on. And I, you know, in, in situations, it's like any, you know, tough thing that happened to you in the past, you know, literally even growing up over those first 17 years, like I can't, I'm not trying to even imagine, you know, the difficulty in that, but it was like through that, look who you are now and look who you are today and what came from that. So it's just like, you know, our experiences, regardless of how tough they are, I really just firmly believe that they can lead us and guide us to our truth. They can take us to a place that we would have never gotten to without those experiences. And so many times in our pain and suffering, like we mentioned before, that's when like the real growth happens. That's when we really start to come into our own because it creates us to think differently. Right. It creates us to approach life differently when we're kind of backed into a corner, or like beaten down a little bit. Uh, and when we can embrace those situations, even if we're not embracing it in the moment, but when we click back on it and embrace it, I'm like, wow, that really was something that I needed in order to be who I am today. And when we can have that perspective on life, it really changes everything. It just brings more happiness to us, more joy, more fulfillment, more gratitude. And when we can live a life surrounded by that sort of energy, I just feel like that, that's what everybody wants. It changes the game. It's transformative. It's transformative for yourself. It's transformative for the lives that you touch along the way. Absolutely. And Rena, where do you see this organization going? Uh, I know it's still early. You got some really exciting things that are coming up right now. Uh, but, you know, do you see it staying in the Bronx? Do you see it going outside of that? Do you see other programs and things that you're doing? Yeah, I mean, for us, our roots are in the Bronx. And that's where we're going to continue to grow. But then ultimately, we want to scale across the city and then become a national organization because childhood literacy is a national crisis, simply put. And there's just so many more students that I hope to be able to provide this type of space for. And ultimately, my hope is to open my own school someday. And so I think we're, you know, starting with Star Lighthouse, and then I'm excited to see where the journey takes me. Wow. And then I know, again, you're, you're coming out with all these new programs. Do you have other ideas for the things in the future? Or are you kind of just being present and focusing on what you have right now? I think for me, I'm really focused on just like being present nice. with what we have right now. But a lot of the work that we do is really guided around data and feedback. So I want to be able to see how this year goes, 
collect feedback from students, families, administrators, teachers. And then if we have to go back, then we go back and think about, okay, how do we make the programming even better? Or how do we really tailor it to what their needs are in this current climate and to take it from there? But yeah, I, I feel like my I'm always on in that <laughs> sense where there's just so many ideas just floating around in my head. And that's why it's always great to have a journal because you could always just like take it out and be able to like put something down on paper. Yes. And then you never know when you'll um, bring it to fruition, but you wrote it down. It's there. Exactly. It exists. Yep. It exists. That starts the manifestation yeah. process because it even takes it out of your mind into physical form on that piece of paper. So, yeah, I think that's the best way of putting that, yeah. And so let's help um, manifest um, your dreams even more. Can you just give me the visualization of what your school, because I'm sure you've imagined it, what the classes would be like. So can you just give us just a little bit of an idea of your vision for your school one day? I mean, for me, I just think about just a very joyous and supportive environment that really does center BIPOC um, populations in the sense of like even the teachers, right? Like we are centering and uplifting those that are BIPOC to actually serve the students that do need us the most. And I want it to be an environment where students are excited to come into the school building. And even if they've had a rough start to the day or a rough start to their morning, they're just, when they come in, they're able to have the opportunity to reset because they're surrounded by adults that they trust mm. and that these adults also shower them with the love and respect of, that they deserve. And I think that is the type of learning environment that I really want to be able to bring to life. Awesome. Have you thought about, because um, this is just where my mind goes and doesn't need to be at all yeah. what you're planning, but just curious, have you thought about doing maybe like some sort of meditation or mindfulness um, with the students? Oh, I love that. I mean, my students uh, back when I was teaching second grade, they used to love yoga and like that was cool. something that we actually did every day after we got back from recess because everyone was like so energetic and I'm thinking, okay, we're going to turn off the lights. We're going to lie down and we're going to do some yoga. Yes. <laughs> and so like before we even thought about like anything instructional related, it was that moment for us to just reset as a group and my kids loved it because there was an entry point for each one of them incredible i wow i didn't discover yoga till i was like 30 so these kids are discovering yoga when in second grade is just yeah it is i i mean just some you know the resources that um kids do have um you know that we didn't have when we were younger like I was literally with my um, my niece, my wife's, well, my sister-in-law's daughter. And uh, it was a couple months ago and we were in a lake. Um, and look like, like the lake, it's on Lake Ontario actually. And there's beach right there. And she was just floating in the water, just like chilling. And she comes out and I'm like, Virginia, what you doing? What's going on? She's like, oh, I'm, yeah. I was just meditating. I was like, what? she's like, I love that. she's like five. <laughs> 
honestly the best thing I've heard. I, oh my gosh, like incredible. So I just thought that was really cool too that you brought that into the classroom yoga for yeah. these students. Look at you doing it. And it helped, it helped recenter them. I mean, then we were able to get through what we needed to instructionally for the rest of the afternoon and it became part of our routine. So if it didn't happen, they were like, wait, what? Yeah. Like why? <laughs> I feel disoriented. Turn off the lights. <laughs> <laughs> it is so odd when you adopt these habits and you do them every single yeah. day and you can feel really how much they can change your surroundings and who you are from the inside. And then when you don't do them on a day, you do, you feel off, right? You feel, yeah, you do, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and I think for a lot of kids, it's all about consistency yeah. and routine. And that's really important to be able to put into place for that. Totally. And like, it brings your awareness to the fact too. It's like, was I always off before I was doing this? It's like, what? Right? Yeah. Uh, and Rena, I'm curious too, where do you guys get the, the funding from? to, you know, to support the organization and create these programs um, and, and be able to give students these brand new books? Yeah, I have, that's a great question. So when we started, we really leaned into in-kind um, donations and really just cultivating partnerships with publishers um, all across the country, really, um, and then any individual that was able to really support our mission. And now as we've become a 501c3 organization, we have leaned into federal funding and uh, government grants as well. So that has been incredibly helpful as we continue to build our organization. Incredible. Love that. And then is there anywhere um, that people can just go and donate? Uh, yes, we do have an iFund Women page that is linked to our website, www.startlighthouse.org. And essentially that is our fundraising platform. So you can contribute there and all that money goes directly into our programming. Awesome. And Rena, how long ago, so you started this literally right after COVID kind of hit? Was it like um, last March? Yeah, it was, I can tell you the exact date. It was March 22nd. Wow. Didn't waste any time. No. Wow. No. And how, yeah. how big is the organization now? How many people do you have working with you? Um, so I was able to co-found this organization alongside Brittany Kramer and Anya Morales. And our team has grown tremendously. We have nearly 20 volunteers and just a team of interns that really help us stay sane and stay on top of everything that we're doing. So we do have a lot of individuals that are supporting us along the way and that have allowed us to get as far as we have. Mm. It's like, um, like an organization, like what you're doing, first off, you're helping so many people, which is great, obviously. And then what I always just want to shine a light on are the other people who are joining the organization like you, the other co-founders, your interns who are giving their energy and their time to help even more and to, you know, allow the, the organization to thrive and survive. And I don't know, I just, I always want to give love to those people uh, who are. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Because I think those are the people that are really championing for the organization for the mission and there's been times where I've called 
um, our co-founder, Brittany, like 11 p.m. because I have an idea and I need to be <laughs> able to get that idea out. And I expect her to answer my call and she does. And, you know, it's just having that type of community to mm -hmm. also lean back on is really helpful. Yep. And are you still teaching or are you now doing this full time? This is um, full time for me now. Yeah, I've recently made the decision to do so because I was working full time and also running Startly Hubs full time. So you can imagine mm -hmm. how that was. And there was just not enough time for me to take care of my mental health and just be present with my friends and my family. And I realized I had to make a decision. And for me, I can I can see the vision in terms of what Startlight House has done but also what it's on its way to become and that's something that i just can't abandon either and so that's why i decided to go full-time yay congratulations good for you yeah oh that's so huge good for you yeah. oh my gosh it was a big decision but it felt like the decision that was right for me in this moment absolutely can i ask you just really honestly was there I understand it was a tough decision was there ever even a doubt that you wouldn't go in this direction I mean for me I didn't know when it would happen right I thought at at some point in time in the future that's something that I would consider but I didn't think I would go full full in this early on Got it. and so I was a little surprised by that but as we've grown the workload has also increased and i realize that for me this is this is my baby this is my passion uh this is what brings that spark mm -hmm. in myself and i can't i can't abandon this or our students and their families and i have to give this a full 100 percent because that's what this deserves yep and the fact that you had to make this decision sooner than you even thought it's like mm -hmm so much gratitude in that because you you just got to a place you know sooner you were able to grow this company yeah. and um take it to a place where you know they need you needed to be there full time like maybe you could have got there in five years from now but how beautiful is it that you got there now yeah oh i love that that's that's really helpful framing even for me that's something that i hadn't given much thought to so i'm really glad that you put it that way of course yeah it's like yeah, I mean, to right, you can always have these ideas of okay, like I'll get here in, in this amount of time and years from now, and to supersede that and to hit those goals and be able to make your passion your full time even sooner than you even imagined. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, like the power and that. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. And that's why I'm excited for what the future also holds. Yeah. I'm living each day in the present, but I'm also just. I get giddy thinking about what we can do and build here. Awesome. So good. And um, I have just one other question um, after this one um, that I wanted to ask you. It's the question I ask every single guest, but because we've been talking about gratitude and it is both of one of our favorite things, uh, what is something in life right now that you are grateful for? Um, I would say I'm grateful for my older brother because I don't think I would be in the position I am today um without him huh. he has just been so influential in my life he's eight years older than me too so that that helps <laughs> um but he, he is also an entrepreneur and he's the one that really 
paved that path in my family and he's just so unapologetic when it comes to just his dreams and being able to have someone like that as a role model is just incredible but then also just seeing my brother as a father has been one of the greatest things that I've been witness to and he's just an amazing like brother and father and it's just I'm in awe of someone like him so that's who I'm really grateful for. Oh my gosh, that just was so nice. That made, that made me feel so good to hear. <laughs> I hope you listen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that was uh, that was incredible. Did um, did he help inspire you? And then also because he kind of you know paved the way and being an entrepreneur, did it help you just even feel safer? with your decision it helped helped me feel safer because he used to be a lawyer and then two years into his job he was also teaching himself how to like program and code each night so he was up to like two three in the morning and then ultimately he quit his job and invested all his savings into building his own company and so he was just so bold when it came to that and I realized he took, you know, a leap of faith and he believed in himself. And I think that reminded me that I'm also capable of doing the same. Yes. And he's just just been so supportive. And I feel really lucky to have someone like him in my life. Uh, And did that help you too, just even like with your parents and your family, you know, not going the traditional route? Yeah. I mean, it was just, okay, like, he's done it okay we kind of see it but we're still not sure about this whole education thing where did this come (laughs) but i mean my parents are just really understanding in the sense of if they can see that passion and that spark and that excitement Mm. they're they're on board great and now they can probably say that they you know are two individuals who came over here in the 80s and have built this incredible life for their family and now they have two children that are entrepreneurs and it's all because of the sacrifices that they put in along the way to allow us to be here in this moment yep. well i'm happy for you you seem like you have a really great and supportive family um and i i love your brother man he sounds just like such a He's yeah amazing. such an amazing person <laughs> Yes, it's so good to surround ourselves with people like that, people who love us yeah, and support absolutely. us. Yeah, amazing. Um, and then, Serena, the question I ask every uh, every single guest is, um, so my goal in life mm-hmm. is to help shift the collective consciousness of the planet uh, to a place that is more loving and accepting uh, to a place that just embraces our oneness and understands that we truly are one. Um, you know, a place that's more forgiving, uh, a place that is just kinder, more vulnerable, just this beautiful place of consciousness. Um, and I truly believe this is who we are. You know, we are love, we are acceptance, we are understanding, we are all these beautiful um, emotions. Um, we've just kind of forgotten and just gotten beaten down a little bit by the world that we live in. And um, I always say, you know, my goal is to help in this shift because there's no way me or anyone else is able to do this alone. 
it literally cannot be created alone. We have to come together um, and do it together. So what do you feel like you are doing every day uh, in your organization or you as a person uh, that is helping in this beautiful shift of consciousness? I mean, I think for me, it's just that unwavering belief that every child is capable of meeting the standards and meeting the expectations of that every child is capable of being loved and accepted. Yes, every child. <laughs> uh, I love it. You see like the best in everybody, which we should all do for everybody. Uh, and that's something I work on. I'm working on it all the time is seeing the best in people always. Like I was literally, I was on a call last night uh, with some incredible people. And uh, one of the people was saying that like, you know, the idea is to see the Christ consciousness in everybody, right? Yeah. And understand how beautiful everybody is and how truly loving everybody is. And everyone deserves to be loved and everyone deserves to be accepted. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So I love that, that you are, you're, uh, that, was, that was a great answer. And I always get so excited to ask the question because... <laughs> I could, I could just sense with like that buildup. I was like, all right, here we go. <laughs> because I truly think too, in order for us to really create the shift, we have to think about it, right? We have to ask ourselves that question on almost like a daily basis to be like, how am I contributing, right? We all want a better world. I think we're all not satisfied with how things are going. And that's honestly needed in order for it to show us who we don't want to be so that we can create a better reality and show ourselves to the world and proclaim who we do want to be. Uh, and hopefully that is love and all those beautiful things and kindness that we just talked about. And, um, but we have to think about it. We can't just float through life. And if we literally ask ourselves that question every day, like, how am I contributing Am I being kind today or reflecting on your day? Like, I love that before too. You like, you reflect on your day and it's like, was I as kind as I could have been today? Was I as loving as I could have been? Was I generous? Was I genuine? Was I vulnerable and open? And, um, in asking ourselves those questions, right? It brings our awareness to it so that we can actively and intentionally fulfill and do those things more often. And I just think it's really important too, to say that, in our reflection or in our thoughts of ourselves, okay, how am I helping in this shift? If you reflect on the day and you weren't as kind as you could have been or as loving as you could have been, it's so important to not beat ourselves up and look down on ourselves and hate ourselves or feel negatively towards ourselves because we weren't living to our fullest, most beautiful self. It's like the question is there to bring our awareness to it. And that's a great part of it too. It's like bringing our awareness even to that question and looking back and be like, okay, well, I wasn't the most loving person I was today. That's okay. You know what I mean? We don't need to hate ourselves for that. That is okay. That is the purpose of it to realize how we are acting and then to use that in order to change, right? And if we say, you know, I wasn't as loving as I could have been today. Well, that is a great thing because that is showing you who you don't want to be in reality and then showing you who you do want to be. So then be that person the next day. And if you quote unquote fail again, that is okay. It's just about each day being aware of it and doing our best to create that shift. And the days that we don't do that, it's okay. Just get better the next day. Absolutely. I think that was so beautifully said. And it starts with just taking that self-ownership, like ownership, right? Yeah. And just having that self-awareness and 
I think that is often the hardest thing to do for so many people. So even if you're able to get to that step, I think you're well on your way to becoming that person that you want to be. Absolutely. And I always talk about meditation, yoga, just practicing mindfulness throughout the day. That is such, those are such huge tools to help people just become more aware um, and live a life that they're more aligned with and just more aligned with who they truly want to be. Yeah. And I mean, when you find that it's the best feeling in the world and I was searching for that for, for 28 years and I finally found that. So I believe that every person is capable of um, unleashing that. Yes. Every single person without a doubt has that within them for that to come forward. Yes. Exactly. Arena, this has been an incredible conversation. I Thanks so much. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that I got to learn more about what you're doing and the listeners got to as well. Uh, if you can just let everybody know where they can find you, uh, the organization online and on social media. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you can connect us, connect with us um, at www.startlighthouse.org and you can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Startlighthouse. Perfect. Nice and easy. I love that. <laughs> All right. Great. Well, again, thank you so much for being here. So much. Of course. Thank you for choosing love over fear and um, choosing your passion. You know what I mean? And not, uh, not being too afraid to do so because it can be challenging. It can be really challenging to take that leap. So just thank you for being such an example of how we can feel and what we can achieve um, when we do choose the path of love. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks again. Of course, everybody. Thank you for being here. We love you so much and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye.